Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. The Big Thursday podcast. It's Doug, it's Nathan, it's Steven. It's time to dig in on the Ohio State offense. We were going to do that on the Wednesday pod. And then we had the Alliance come up. So we talked about the Alliance and uh, we're gonna, we saved this. So this will be a little longer pod. This will be more like a typical Wednesday pod. And we're going to dig in on like how we think ideally Ryan Day wants to attack people given what this team is offensively. And if we have time before the Minnesota game, maybe we'll do a version of this defensively, but we won't go in depth as much. But as, as we sort of start off philosophically, Nathan Baird, and by the way, tech subscribers would love to have you, 614-350-3315. Linebacker Mount Buckmore coming Friday. Last chance to like, if you're, well, like you got to hurry up. I don't know. Like if, if you hurry up and you're not a tech subscriber right now, if you subscribe like the minute you hear this and by sending a text to 614-350-3315, there might be time for you to still get a chance to vote for the Friday Mount Buckmore, but it's going to be tight. And that voting is going well. Nathan, is Ohio State offensively more of a throwing team or more of a running team in the Ryan Day era? And will what they do this year match what they have been in the four years that Ryan Day has been here as a coordinator and head coach? Or do you think this is a time when they will do something differently than what they have been the previous four years? I I think of this Um, as I don't even know how to answer that. I wouldn't want to answer that question I just asked. I'm going to sit back and put my feet up for eight minutes. Good luck with that. I think of this as a run-based team, uh, first and foremost, the team that sets its offensive foundation with the run. And I think if you're saying, if you're asking whether this year will be greater or less than the average running that an Ohio State team does, I think it'll be greater than average under Ryan Day. Because if you take out 2018, that's what skews things back towards passing even more, right? So if if you were to ever remove that, um, but if you're including 2018, then I think it'll definitely be a, a more of a running team than ever. And that sounds like a weird thing to say in some ways because of Olave and Wilson, but just based on the way that they have run their offense over the years and based on the talent that they'll have at quarterback this year, I still see this team leading on the ground. 
It is interesting because, Stephen, right? Yeah. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are big butts in that conversation that might lead you another direction because I do think there's interesting stuff here of like, okay, in Ryan Day's time here, well, 2017, you know, it's a freshman running back. It's Mike Weber who had a role the year before but isn't necessarily a world beater. But also, well, like who are your dudes on the out? Like who are your receivers there? And is JT as a court, right? So that sort of made sense maybe to lean on the run, even though J.K. Dobbins was a freshman there, right? And then as Nathan said, 2018 is a bit of an outlier. Then 2019, it's like, okay, well, now, I mean, J.K. is ready to freaking roll, right? So that's like a thing. And then 2020 is a little weirder, but it's almost so weird. I don't know how much to take away from 2020. But the big thing I think, Stephen, is, trying to figure out how much, because it's a young quarterback, but it's also potentially a young backfield as Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams play a lot. How much do Wilson and Olave skew them toward the pass? Because my God, they're two of the best skill players in college football, and you've got to feed these guys. It's hard because their quarterbacks have been stupid efficient. And they're also have had pretty good defenses. So, and so they've just kind of dominated teams. So maybe we haven't gotten a very good look at it. I think they're a throwing team. I just think they like to use the run to set it up and be an aggressive throwing team, meaning everything's 40 yards down the field, if that makes sense. This is the way they go about throwing the ball. It's, it doesn't, it's not a lot of throws because it's a lot of yards that they're gaining every time they throw the ball. With Justin. With just right, With Justin. A lot of play. It's a lot of play action, naked bootleg, rolling outside of the pocket. With shots. Justin shots with Justin and Chris Olave. Now that he's gone, and we're obviously going to get into this. The question is: Is it going to be a lot of yards in a small amount of usage, or is it going to be a small amount of yards and a lot of usage with a new quarterback? But was it like that from day one with Justin Fields too? Yes, because of who J.K. Dobbins was and the threat he was. Because he was such a threat running the Not, ball. I'm asking the way throwing they threw the ball. Were they taking shots? So yeah, th- this is why this is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> and I don't know that we're going to arrive at a conclusion. I think, I hope, I hope, I hope it's helpful to the, you guys as listeners, like for all of us to sort of, sort of talk this out. And I didn't send a survey on this because I don't even really know what to ask. Right. Because I do think Nathan, like we need to talk it out because there's a lot of like, you did like the raise the finger, lean into the microphone comma butt on Steven and like the the side eye but like we're going to be doing all that to each other 20 times on this podcast because every time you say well this is the this is the this and it's like yes but was that philosophical was that related to the player was it what about the relationship between player a and player b was it more about player a or more about player b and that's the complicating thing here nathan like if justin fields was back also with these receivers i feel we would like we'd have a handle of this offense if all the receivers were young, like if everybody was young, right? I think we'd have a hand. It's like, well, they're going to run and throw short passes. But but it's like it's young quarterback. The guy we think is the best running back is young, but they have the two best receivers in college football on the outside. And how can you not lean into that, even though for the last four years, 2018 accepted, but even then they called more run plays than pass plays. Like, how can you not lean into Wilson and Olave, Nathan? But philosophically, it's not as much of a natural fit 
maybe as people would think. Yeah, and I, I was going back to a specific game that I wanted to look at that I thought would maybe help give me some perspective on what we'll see at least early this season. And even the conclusions I started to make there, I was giving myself the lean in, the one finger lean in side eye because I was like, all right, but don't forget about this. Mm -hmm. Like you don't make that judgment yet because this is a factor that this is a variable that existed there that doesn't exist now. And there, there are some things with with other personnel. So I I think you're right. I I was having, I was doing another podcast for some Oregon people today. And it was interesting because I'd already started doing some of this research and it's to start thinking about what this offense might look like. Ostensibly we want to do it now that we know what CJ Stroud is, but or who now, now that we know CJ Stroud is the starter, but we still don't know for sure how CJ Stroud is going to play, and and those other variables could change things a lot. And it's, it's something that could adapt over the course of the year, as as Justin Fields did. So I do think I do think Ryan Day is in search of explosive plays, in search of but like in search of like smart risk explosive plays. Yeah. But he does believe, you know, you're not going to just march. 14 plays, 80 yards, seven times a game. And that's how you're going to win. But I think if you think about the previous four years of like, how do you sort of find explosive plays right in this offense? It's like, well, with JT Barrett in 2017, you know, as it turned out, JT and JK in the run game together in 2017 could be explosive, right? That was a way for them to sort of be powerfully explosive and get defenses back on their heels. I think in 2018, we clearly saw the most explosive thing they could do is throw a short pass to Paris Campbell. And mm-hmm. that's how you're explosive. So you're talking about Dwayne Haskins throwing it a lot, but not a lot of shots, right? Because it's like, let's just let Paris Campbell catch it at five yards from the last scrimmage and then run the other 80. 2019, there's a lot of explosive JK, but you start working in Justin Fields, who has a great ability to go down the field, but you're easing into it a little bit. And then I think by 2020, you know, Justin is explosive especially with Olave and Wilson. But then end of the year, you figure it out late. Hey, Trey Sermon is also karate kicking people in the face. So, Stephen, like if we know that, that they're going to search for that, what does that lead us to? Does that lead us to, I don't, it doesn't matter if the quarterback is young, you have got to throw the ball down the field to Chris Olave a couple times a game or you're wasting him? Is this, get the ball to Garrett on the move, quick slants to Garrett, whatever you got to do and let that guy blow people up. And how much does, whether you're, whether the guy in the backfield is master Tigre, Mayan Williams versus is the guy in the backfield on that play, Travion Henderson, that to me exchanges your explosion calculus a little bit as well. So Steven, how, what's the best way for them to think about being explosive in this season? I mean, the best way is if they just give Travion Henderson the ball from day one and let him be great. But in all honesty, I think it's a it's it's somewhere between Justin and Dwayne, and I, I feel like that's such a cop out answer. But I think part of why you put Jackson in the slot is real reliability, safety net. Not saying that Garrett can't get because obviously the dude can freaking catch the ball, but that's explosion. So you put that back on the outside. And as you just said, get him on the move. Obviously you've got Chris Olave going deep, but you have to have somebody in there where it's just catch the ball. We don't need you to do anything else. Just catch the ball. And maybe that's where Jackson comes into play a little bit. When you have a young quarterback, it's just have a KJ Hillish figure for a young first year starting quarterback who you can just kind of dime it to whenever everything else isn't working. 
Because that's I, what KJ Hill was in 2019. He was just a he was the safety net when Chris Olave, yeah, or 20, 2018, but even 2019 as well. He led the team in catches. Not saying Jackson's going to do that, but the idea of having reliability in the slot over explosion when you have a freshman uh, first year starting quarterback. No, right. You 2019, 2018. I'm thinking of of KJ and Paris as a combo, but then mm-hmm. 2019 was KJ when KJ was basically the slot by himself. One's reliability in, in 2018. It's one's reliability, one's explosive. In 2019, it's all reliability. When you have a first year starting quarterback, do you need that slot to be a, a reliability guy? So because of that, is it more short yardage? Like is is CJ Stroud going to average nine yards per attempt the same way that Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins did the last three years? So I, I try to try to visualize this for myself. I was like, when was the last time Ohio State had a situation like this? First time starting quarterback under Ryan Day with this kind of skill set. So I went back and looked at the Florida Atlantic opener in 2019. Okay. Okay. I don't know if we want to get that far into this. If this is this derail us from where you want to be right now. No, no, no. We're trying to lay some groundwork here. I think we're we're going to get into the weeds a little bit statistically later on, but go ahead and lay this down. Well, this, this, this is more about philosophy. Yeah. So I went back and looked at that game. Let's see. One, two, three, five of the first third. No, seven of the first 13 plays of this game. Sorry, five of the first 13 plays this game, they're in double tight personnel. Okay. How much will they play double tight ends this year if, if they don't necessarily trust that second tight end? But there's that. They ran the, the first play of the game is a quick tight end screen to the left, and then it's run, 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 and then that tight end crossing pattern that they threw for touchdowns. So that gets them to the first two touchdowns. But you're seeing uh, uh, the thing that's, that stuck out to me in all of these was A, that it was a pretty conservative approach, even with Justin Fields. And this is before Garrett Wilson is really a factor. It's before even Chris Olave is a first line, like has to be on the field player. It's a lot of Ben Victor, Austin right. Mack mm-hmm. and, and KJ Hill. So it's a, it's a different talent level that you're playing with at receiver, but it's, it's just a, a quick pass, regular run, a run option run. And then that run option where he breaks off the long touchdown. Like it's, when you're talking about explosive plays, this isn't a Ryan day looks for those explosive plays, but he doesn't look, he doesn't just, he's not sending off a barrage of missiles. It's like a suitcase bomb. It's a setup offense, basically yeah, a suitcase bomb. It's, it's, it's finding it's, it, and just like watching the way they would line up, you know, you're lining up um, slot, right. And then you run it to the left. You're running, running up when trips and you do the run option off left tackle. It's using a lot of leverage. It's, it's leveraging a defense against itself and then capitalizing. And then once in a while you would have a thing where Florida Atlantic just falls asleep and he, and Justin Fields throws a 30 some yard touchdown, but it was making things very, I don't want to say easy for fields, but it was giving him a lot of protection is giving him a lot of uh, easy pass. I mean, he wasn't throwing the ball downfield until a play where like literally both the corner and safety for Florida Atlantic just like ran into each other or something. And there was an easy touchdown lob. Like it was, it wasn't like he's throwing contested bombs downfield. It's waiting for that defense to give you that explosive opening. And, and you're taking advantage of stuff underneath before that, because you're more talented. But it's not that I don't think we should go into this thinking at all that C.J. Stroud's going to be chucking the ball downfield, even with if it is Olave and Wilson. Because even last year with Wilson, it was a lot of it was running a lot of horizontal routes 
in sort of stages that became vertical routes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, it wasn't like just streaking down the field. That was what Jameson Williams was doing when nobody was throwing him the ball. Right. It was, it was, it was a lot of like incremental stuff with Wilson underneath. And I, I could see still, even though he's moving outside, I could still see more things like that. You got to get the ball in those guys' hands, but don't think for a second that it's going to be just a bunch of chucking the ball downfield to get it, the ball to them. When you, when Nate or Steven, when you said it's a setup offense, right? I mean, to me, if you mm-hmm. said, Pick one play that defines sort of like the Ryan Day head coach era offensively at Ohio State. I think we all would pick the same thing, which is two tight ends, play action, yep. deep ball to Chris Olave. Mm-hmm. But that's not – that play is not deep ball to Rarity. Chris Olave. That, that play is two tight ends – yeah, play action, and again, every analytical, somebody. every yeah. analytical guy to tell you you don't need to run the ball to run play action. That's a fallacy. But yet, Ohio State still does that. They, I think they still would believe we've run it effectively so far. We're putting two tight ends in, and now we're going to kill you with the. We're not just chuck, chuck, chuck. I mean, again, I, on the college football playoff show this week, we broke down quarterbacks. So I was watching a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, there are times when, like at North Carolina, Sam Howell is just throwing 50-yard bombs like every Mm -hmm. series, you know? And it's like, that's not what they really want to do. But I do think to all these points, and Nathan, like to your setup point here, in that 2019 game, one of the things you had was J.K. Dobbins. So if you're running it early, it's like, well, we're pretty sure that's going to work. And here's the thing, like about the Minnesota opener, it's not Florida Atlantic. It's not Bowling Green. It's not Toledo. It's not Tulsa. You know, I don't, I don't know if they're great. They're not, they're not great. But they have some veterans. It's a Big Ten team. And if you come out, Nathan, and you think we're going to run, we're going to do some two tights, we're going to set some stuff up, we're going to set up some easy throws, and you're playing Master Teague and Mayan Williams, and they're not 2019 J.K. Dobbins. And I don't think and, and first game of his life, Travion Henderson is also not 2019 J.K. Dobbins. What if you come out and you try to set, set up some stuff for C.J. Stroud to make it easy and you go three and out the first two series? Because the thing you're doing to set up the thing by, like, is not working as well because it's not J.K. Dobbins. Now, the other counter to that is Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit Frere, Paris Johnson, Harry Miller, Dewan Jones, like – we don't really care who the running back is. We're going to run people over. And if that works and it's not really a running back discussion, it's a run game discussion. And they have one of the three best offensive lines in college football. Then Nathan, it it very well might be that and they'll be fine and we can debate the running back, but it's not a primary discussion. Yeah. And then there's even the discussion of how it could be fool's gold in that season opener. Cause Minnesota last year was a miserable team in run defense. Yep. And just because they can run the ball against them doesn't mean they can do it against Oregon, which might be the best defense they see all season. Um, it's just, it's, it's a reminder, but it gets back to the point though of, of Ryan day finding ways. The thing, when I went back and watched that game, it wasn't so much that I was thinking, Oh, look at that play that that guy made. It was more, Oh, look at the way Ohio state's defense was able to, uh, our state's offense, I should say, was able to kind of fold the defense in on itself and take advantage of a mismatch, take advantage of um, somebody being out of position. I just think you're going to see a lot more of that. Like, I, I actually don't know that there's a big difference, but that Florida Atlantic team wasn't that bad. That was a, like a bowl team. Didn't they win like eight or nine games that year? Like, that might be conference. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> that might be roughly the equivalent of what Minnesota is this year. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, they, they had a legitimate big time tight end on that team. So, but we're talking about a different side of the ball there, but uh, yeah, I mean, like they, 
I, I think that I, I still expect this team to come out. And again, it's not necessarily conservative, right? I, 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 no, I, I don't, I don't I think, think what conservative it is, is the right word. Yeah. No, I, I think the thing that's always been interesting, he's not a predictable play caller, but you can tell when stuff is coming. You can, you can kind of feel the buildup of, oh, here it comes. Here comes the play. Here comes the play action deep. Just by how they're set up and stuff, how the last three or four plays are going. So I agree with the idea that you don't have to run the ball to set up play action. The other team just has to think you're good at running the ball. So if let's say if Trey Sermon was back this year, they could come out and play action in Minnesota and probably get a 50-yard bomb off the first play of the game. Just because Minnesota's last thought of Trey Sermon is Clemson game, Big Ten championship game. And so the, I don't know if they have to – the running backs don't have to do much. The offensive line just has to be powerful. But there's other ways to set it up. Maybe we see more RPO stuff this year. Maybe. I don't know. They hated RPO when they did it. That line hated RPOs. I think – but also, I think some of that RPO stuff, you don't maximize uh, the ferocity of your offensive line because no. they're sort of caught in between and they end up kind of like half pass blocking, half run blocking. And what they're going to run, they just want to plow people over. They don't want to be like, is this a runner or a throw? So no, now, now get, listen, Alabama won the national title running RPO. RPO and it all, so, all so day. Let's, let's not pretend great teams with great offensive lines don't run RPO. But I'm just, I'm just scarred by Ohio State's recent history of that. But yeah. you might be right. Listen, I mean, like DJ Uyunglele, when he's playing Notre Dame last year, he's six five. He's RPO and Notre mm-hmm. Dame to death all game. So that I'm, might be the answer. I'm trying to maximize putting Garrett back at X, I guess, because it can't just be, oh, because he's explosive down the field. You want the ball in that kid's hands. So if that means bubble, some screens on the outside, some RPO stuff, I think when we were watching in the spring, they had Chris doing some of that stuff, and that's something he needed to improve on is what happens after he catches the ball. In the name of you get the best two receivers in college football, the ball, if they've improved in that right, both of them, maybe we see more of it just to get the ball in their hands so it doesn't have to be 30 yards down the field every time Chris Olave touches it. You know, you're doing a lot of that RPO stuff if you have the run pass option and you're not, you don't really want to run the quarterback that much. So it's right. like instead of the run option where it's either the running back runs it or the quarterback runs it, it's either the running back runs it or the quarterback throws it. So there's, again, like Nathan, it's all these equations. It's like, okay, well, Ohio State was trying RPOs in 2018 because Dwayne couldn't run. Well, I think CJ can run better than Dwayne. Mm-hmm. I don't think CJ is as much of a threat as Justin, but also – CJ is not as much of a threat with the ball in his hands as Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are. So even if CJ is a decent runner that you could run the quarterback, well, I'd still rather, I'd rather have it in Garrett Wilson's hands. So if you want to do some of that stuff, try to keep a defense off balance, make some easy throws for CJ. Maybe you do get into some of that stuff, but I think where Ohio state ran into a problem in 2018 is when your whole run game is RPO runs, and you're not letting your linemen fire off the ball and take care of business, they get frustrated, and and you've got to let Paris Johnson fire off the ball and take care of business. So there's a way to mix in RPO without relying on it as much as Alabama did last year. Mm -hmm. Because I I don't think that's the way to go, because I do think in the end, you're probably better off letting the offensive line clear out and then throwing, taking some shots off the effectiveness of the run game. But when we started this conversation, Nathan – it was like, is Ohio State a running team or is Ohio State a passing team? I think we've had a version of this conversation before the last couple of years, right? And I'm just double-checking, like, does everybody listening, like, do all Ohio State fans know that they're a run team, that they run it, like, a lot more than they throw it? And, and I didn't compare it to everybody else, 
there's probably a lot of teams that do that. But I do think sometimes with as good as Justin Fields is and that Ryan Day is a quarterback guy and that they have the best receiver. I mean, P.J. Flex telling people in press conferences this week that Ohio State has the best receiver room he's ever seen anywhere. Right. Like when you add all those things together, it's like, oh, well, they're a throwing team. That's hyperbolic. Okay. Well, last. Well, I mean, if the converse, I don't. Well, we Alabama 20. Yeah. Alabama 2019 had four first rounders in it. Well, I mean, that's the thing. But it's like, but let's, let's, well, but two years from now, let's see if they have four first rounders. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's fair. They might. In this room. Correct. So last year, and this is this is I took sacks out and I made sacks pass plays instead of run plays, even though college football statistically they call them run plays. I did not have a way. I did not dig into it enough to account for pass plays where the quarterback scrambled and gained mm. yards. I called those run plays. So this is not exact, exact, exact. But last year, 64.4% run plays, 35.6% pass plays. And Nathan, that is... That is a lower percentage of pass plays than JT Barrett in 2017. Like that's how much they <laughs> they ran the ball last year. Now part of the time it was with Justin, but I mean, like this is like that's with Justin Fields After, as a Heisman candidate the year before, and their two thirds run they they're running more than they ran with JT Barrett with a running back room that like you're not exactly sure of, right? With Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So then it's like, well, so what now? Now. Now you think they're going to throw it, you know, 70% of the time like it is. It is. I do think there can be a perception maybe just at the first glance, the way we think and talk about the team that we can think that they're chucking it around the field when actually they're not. No, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's it's just the basic spread offense principles, right? I mean, just spreading that defense around and, and kind of isolating things and running straight at guys. I mean, it. it I've never really thought of them as being like a there's certainly never been like some kind of run and shoot thing. They've always just to me, it goes back, I think, to Ryan Day's foundations in the NFL a little bit. I mean, even in the NFL, like as much as it started to 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 trend towards, you know, passing, I, I still feel like the heavy foundation is in running the ball. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Though. I think it depends uh, for the maybe so, you think yeah, that's what I'm saying. Outside of the Southwest, whether you're talking about college or the NFL, I think the bulk of football is still run first. But Southwest, West Coast, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's true. The NFL, I don't think it's true. I, I think, I mean, all the analytics are like everything. If you, the more you throw, the better you are. I don't know that like Sean McVay yeah. is is rely well, on the run, and I don't think the Chiefs are rely on the run. I don't know that the Packers are rely on the run. I mean, the Bucks won the Super Bowl last year with Leonard Fournette off the scrap heap. I think they threw it a lot. So, like, to say that, like, oh, the NFL background would be run it, I actually think the fact that Ryan Day still continues to run it as much as he is is almost like an urban remnant more than let's do what the NFL does. Well, again, his I'm talking about his NFL background, which was several years ago. So there have, I think you're right that there have been some trends yeah. there in, in recent years. And I would also say that RSA doesn't throw to the running backs the way an NFL offense does. Yeah, that's part of it. How do I say this? Like the stats are pretty consistent, right? Like we can look and say, well, this is what they do, but yet it's still a little hard to get your, your arms around it to some degree, because I do think in the end, Ryan Day is a good offensive coach and good offensive coaches evolve with the times and they do what their personnel does best. So when we come back, we will break down sort of what that personnel is going to do best. We're going to get into some more stats. We're going to talk about Run versus pass. We're going to talk about throwing to slot receivers versus throwing to outside receivers. We're going to talk about 
the quarterback run game. How much will it be used or not used compared to the past? We're trying to give you some idea of how we think this offense might work. Again, I don't think we're answering questions on this podcast, but I hope we're establishing a foundation for a discussion as we prepare for the opener next week. And as we prepare to cover what I, what I think we all would agree, Nathan, right. Is going to be an evolving offense during the course of this year and how they attack Minnesota very well, maybe different than how they attack Indiana and Penn state. And then how they attack the big 10 championship game in the playoff, right? It, it really could be quite a different offense. Yeah. I mean, partially because of what the opponent is, but also like when I went back and looked at that FAU game from 2019, I was struck by that not being what I remembered about that offense even later that season. Right. This is going to change over time. All right. We'll be back on Buckeye Talk right after this. Back on Buckeye Talk, keeping it real with you guys. This is hours after the first part of the show. Nathan and Steven are back from receiver interviews. It happened Wednesday after practice. Everybody is kind enough to work around my daughter's high school tennis schedule. So we're kind of doing this in parts, but Nathan, I just wanted to get your read on this. My understanding from reading the text is that at receiver interviews tonight, Stephen gave Garrett Wilson his rose. Was it it a presentation? Was it off to the side? Was it emotional? Did people cry? I didn't see that. I did see Stephen wearing Garrett's letter jacket later. That's something that kids still do in high school. So Stephen sent out a text. Stephen was like, I did it. I did it. (laughs) So the tech subscribers got this news Wednesday night. Just tell us, I asked Stephen off the pod, what was your moment with Garrett like? And he started telling me, and I said, I don't want to know. I want to find out with the listeners. So Stephen, what was the Stephen Means Garrett Wilson conversation? So let's set this up first. because It's funny how many people realize the, 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 the love affair I have for Garrett Wilson, because we're, we're talking to Brian Hartline first. He's at the middle table and um, Bill Landis, who usually asks more in-depth questions that are like, you can tell he's getting ready to do a film breakdown on somebody. He's asking all these really detailed questions about route running. And so after Brian Hartline gets up, I go over to Bill and I go, you're writing a film breakdown on Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. He goes, who are you talking to? Of course I am. And so then later on, Garrett comes to sit at the same table. And I think we're at Cam Babb at the, at the time. And I'm walking back over to sit with Garrett. And he goes, you get the front row seat. And I go, who are you talking to? Of course I am. So I asked a couple questions in public. As you know, you can't just grab a guy to the side. You got to at least, you know, go along with the program for a little bit. And then I go around to another table. I think I went to Jackson's table. And so as Garrett's getting up, I rush over to get him to ask the rest of my questions. And my preference for how this conversation starts with, hey, Garrett, I'm introducing myself. I'm Steven. I don't know how much you like pay attention to stuff people saying right about you. And I go into my spiel. He goes, yeah, I know who you are. And I go, oh, OK, cool. So this isn't as awkward as it had to be. You know, yeah, I've, I've read it all, which was almost a good it was a good icebreaker for why I wanted to talk to him in the first place, because the love for Garrett is not really for Garrett. He just happens to be the person who gets to receive it. Whoa, whoa. Now that, that I think he might be giving the rose back. The love for Garrett is not it's, for Garrett. 
You it's, just it's, love ex receivers. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, it's 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 what he. I love what he represents for a program who is like who was trying to go in a different direction for how they use their wide receivers and how they wanted to approach offense. And this is what I was breaking down to him: the idea that somebody has to be first to the through the wall, and they have to do it and kind of believe it before they see it. And that's the way Ryan Day had to preach to him that, hey, we're going to throw the ball a lot here at a time when Ohio State wasn't really throwing the ball here and you're just expecting this five-star wide receiver from Texas to believe you. And he kind of believed it a little bit. Obviously, he came to some practices and it helped settle him into committing that early. But then I asked him straight up, um, did Dwayne Haskins have to throw 50 touchdown passes in 2018? Did the stats have to be that crazy? And then less words than what he said. Yes, it did. It, I don't know if they would have held on to Garrett Wilson throughout until signing day had that not happened. And so that it's more about that, but also he's just an awesome receiver. He's a really good kid, too. He was a good sport about it all. And he said the reason he knows about it is because apparently he follows me on Twitter, which I did not know at the time. So not to burst your bubble, but I after I saw your text that explained some of this stuff, I just double checked the numbers and I just would like to tell you and Garrett that the entire relationship is built on a lie. Because if Garrett Wilson came to Ohio State based on what Dwayne Haskins did in 2018, they have not come close to doing that. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Career. So to the point of it just had I don't, it had to get that extreme to know. So he knew that they were at least going to do it. It didn't have to be that way every single year he was on the roster. And obviously it's not that and he knows that. But just the idea that sometimes things have to be overly extreme than what they're actually going to be to prove a point. And that's what that felt like that year is, is Ryan Day proving a point, even if it was not going to be 530, what was it, 535 passing attempts every season. He knew that wasn't going to be the case. But he needed to see the extreme version of it so that he could land somewhere where it's a little bit more realistic. So this will lead us into our continuing conversation mm-hmm. on how this offense is going to fit together. Um, Nathan, just double checking the numbers. What does the number 263 mean to you? Does it mean anything to you? Was it one of the numbers you sent today? No. Okay. 263 sounds like the number of, I don't know. (laughs) It is the number of passing yards per game that Ohio State averaged in 2020, in 2019, and in 2017. They have averaged 263 passing yards per year in three of the four years Ryan Day was here. And in the year that Ryan Day was flirting with Garrett Wilson and trying to get him to come here, they threw for 364 yards per game, 101 yards more. And I know Steven made the point in his text and in talking with Garrett, like, and I've I've talked about it. We all know Michael Thomas was underutilized at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. We all realize that. In the national championship year in 2014, when Michael Thomas was here, they averaged 247 passing yards per game which is only 16 fewer yards than they've, they've averaged in three of the four years with Ryan day. Now, Ryan day has, has benefited. It's like, you don't want to follow the legend. You want to follow the guy who fails after the legend. Ryan day, I think in perception has benefited from the absolute incompetence of Ed Warner and Tim Beck. Correct. Yes. It's not that Ohio state like didn't throw it. It's that like the guys who were in charge of the offense right before Ryan day, they didn't throw it. Well, yeah, they didn't throw it. Well, (laughs) 247 passing yards per game in 2014, 
189 passing yards per game in 2015 with so much talent. You, it's like an NFL roster on a college team. You threw for 189 yards per game. It is mind-blowing. That year in 2015, Ohio State ranked 110th in the nation in passing, which is why I kept writing things like Tim Beck and Zach Smith should be fired. I like going back and double-checking the numbers to prove how correct I was. 189 and 215, 214 and 216, starting to creep back up a tiny bit when they were like, we got to throw it more. Ryan Day's first year, 2017, they start throwing 263 per year. So at the beginning of this, Nathan, at the beginning of this podcast, we were talking about like run pass balance. They're, they do run it more than they throw it. But you're, so now we have a number. We're going to start throwing out some numbers, right? As we continue to break this down. Let's throw out 263 because like we're, we're throwing it out to talk about because we're throwing out 364 because that doesn't have anything really to do with this. Over or under 263 passing yards per game for Ohio State in 2021. Because we know what the over-under is. That's the number. And now it returns to young quarterback, veteran receivers. How do you piece that together and make a choice here? But honestly, I don't think those are the most crucial numbers. I think how many games does Ohio State have to play into the fourth quarter is the most crucial number when you're deciding over-under 263 passing yards. And that's the problem. Even with the 2019 season, Justin Fields was sitting on the bench at the end of midway through the third quarter. So it kind of skews those numbers of what maybe would have been his passing numbers. So maybe because of that, it is under for how many CJ Stroud averages. I think I would probably say under as well. Yeah, actually, actually, maybe I'll just, I'll just take the number. Actually. It's like, what do you mean over under? It's going to be 263. What, <laughs> why, why don't we go over a number? Or under push. It's been, yeah. Can I push? I also want to throw this out at you guys and see what you, how you take this into consideration. Again, I'm going to keep pumping the other show, the college football playoff show. We started that show by taking the four teams that have defined the playoff era and starting with them. And then everybody else is chasing that. So I took those four teams, Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio state. Here were their ranks nationally in passing yards per game in the Ryan Day era, starting in 2017. The Ryan Day era is when he starts to be the offensive coordinator for two years and the head coach. 2017, Oklahoma third, Ohio State 36, Clemson 61, Bama 91. So Ohio State second of that group. 2018, Ohio State second, Bama six, Oklahoma seven, Clemson 23. So everybody's like moving up. Three of those four teams are in the top 10, Ohio State second of the country. 2019, Bama 3, Oklahoma 18, Clemson 23, Ohio State 36. Now Ohio State, which was the top of that group in 18, is at the bottom in 2019. 2020, Bama 3, Clemson 6, Oklahoma 14, Ohio State 37. So it goes back to, again, because I understand there's caveats and all this kind of stuff, but guess what? Bama, Clemson, and Oklahoma have blowouts too. Mm -hmm. they're, They're sitting their starters, whatever. And the last two years... When Ohio State had Justin Fields, they were fourth in passing yards per game among the four best programs. So, Nathan, how do we take that? Because it goes to, again, this is a little bit of usual suspects stuff here. Like, I love that line in the thing that the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing people he didn't exist. It's like Ryan Day's usual suspected Garrett Wilson a little bit. Because it's like, yes, Ohio State's, throwing it more and more effectively than the Tim Beck Ed Warner era, but they're fourth of the big four. 
Bama was third in the nation last year. Now, again, that's not going to be Bama every year. But Nathan, what, how, how do you take that in when we think about Ohio State as a passing offense up against similar programs? Does it mean anything or am I just throwing out numbers that don't mean anything? And you can tell me that if you think that. Well, I mean, but it, but as you said, it has fluctuated a little bit, too. I mean, the year that Ohio State averaged the most passing yards in that stretch, was that the worst team of that stretch? Top to bottom, the 2018 team? Well, it was bad defensively, yeah. It was bad defensively, so they were playing games deeper. Mm-hmm. But they also, and they couldn't run the ball. And their quarterback right. couldn't I mean, run. It, so it was, I mean, so 100 more passing yards a game didn't fix all those other issues. So, I mean, the most, the more important numbers to me from a passing standpoint come down to efficiency and, and all those things. I think it tells you, though, that I, I guess, what, are, is there any argument to be made that the Ryan Day formula isn't working? Should no, they no, be no. the ball I, more? I, I'm trying to make sure we everybody knows what the Ryan Day formula is. No offense, Garrett Wilson included, which right. is like, yes, I think they're at least in range of those other programs. But if you want to win national titles and chuck it around, there are better options, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a bad option, but if you care about opportunities, right? And that's Garrett Wilson does, Michael Thomas did. But they're kind of in range of what the 14 team was when you had – you know, that great mix, right? Now they had Zeke. Does Ohio State have Zeke this year? No. So then you don't have to lean on the run game as much. But I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to clarify who they are. Kind of, and, 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 and I just don't know. I, at times, Stephen, have tried to think, like, is, is 18 a little bit of a template for this? You know, if CJ, he's not going to run as much as JT Barrett. He's not as much of an athlete as Justin, He's probably a better athlete than Dwayne, but but is it is it Bing Bang Boom? Is it Mac Jones, Dwayne Haskins? That's the CJ Stroud offense. What we talked about with RPOs, so that maybe we should not be discarding 2018. Uh, but but my my instinct instead, Stephen, is to kind of discard 2018, and and lean more in. All right, we're talking 263, where in that range? Or, but is that wrong? I think it's. It's fair to, to disregard the volume. I don't know if it's fair to disregard the approach. That's a good point. You know, they, they're two different things. Yep. Yeah. I, I think the offense can look like 2018 without having to do it as much as 2018 had to do it. If the defense is better, because let's, maybe Dwayne Haskins doesn't throw 50 touchdown passes and what was it? Four, eight, four, 480, 4,000 yards for 480 something. I don't know. Um, maybe he doesn't have that production. If Bill Davis can coach linebackers better and Tamper Johnson can coach defensive backs better, you know, maybe if JK Dobbins isn't in his head as much, Dwayne Haskins, instead of throwing it 35 times a game, he throws it 27 times a game. So that, that, with Ohio State, there has to be caveats. With every school, there has to be caveats. But because 2018 is such an outlier because of the volume, we feel like we have to throw it out. Like, they still practice all those plays all the time. 2014, Ohio State averaged 17.3 completions and 27.3 attempts per game. National champion 2014. So basically 17 of 27. 2019, Justin Fields, 19.3 completions, 29 attempts. So they go from 17 for 27 to 19 for 29. Last year, 19.8 completions, 28.1 attempts. So 20 for 28. So 17 for 27, 19 for 29, 20 for 28, all kind of in range. Again, 2018, 
they're 28.2 and 40.1. They're 28 for 40 every game. And we, we're, we've outlined some of the reasons for that. I, I think we have a decent range here, though, right, of, of how Ryan Day would like to go about it. And then in that framework, I, I think you're looking at C.J. Stroud, you know, 17 for 27, 18 for 28 for like 230 yards per game, Nathan. That if we're trying to pin it down a little bit, that feels about right for me. Maybe like if it's if it's if it's 263, maybe 20 or 30 yards short of that, but like 18 for 28, that that sounds about right. Yeah, and I think the, the critical thing in there though is what are those 10 incompletions? Because are those 10 passes that aren't completed? Because for Justin Fields, they were incompletions. They were they were harmless for the most part, except for you know one notable example, I guess, last season. But for the most of his career, those 10 incompletions didn't hurt Ohio State. They were almost strategic incompletions. So is does CJ Stroud have that kind of awareness, that kind of um, just sort of sense of the offense and that ability to make decisions in a flash in the moment? to not be turning the ball over. I think that's when you're dealing with a first-time quarterback, that's always got to be a concern. So I, I think that it's it's fair to kind of fact, you know, pencil him in for that like 63% passing or whatever it is, but what's happening with those other 35%? And it's 60, it's eight, I just did the math, it's 64.3%. Is, is that percentage good enough to win an national title? Well, it depends. I mean, like there's a lot of like, right, adjusted completion percentage mm-hmm. and stuff. It depends like what kind of throws you're making. There's another thing. I mean, a lot of this stuff, I was just trying to compare a little bit of, again, Ohio State. There's Ohio State versus itself and then like Ohio State versus other teams. I was trying to look like, did they throw it deep last year more than other people? And I just compared Justin to Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, he, he threw it a lot. Yeah. Well, so Justin by PFF, they called deep balls as anything – 20 yards or more down the field. Mm -hmm. Medium is 10 to 19 yards. Short is zero to nine yards. And then they have passes behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Justin threw 14.2% of his passes were deep balls. Mac Jones, 13.8. Trevor Lawrence, 15.0. So basically in the same range. Medium, mostly in the same range. Justin, the difference is Ohio State does not throw passes behind the line of scrimmage, which Mm -hmm. is screens. Right. They don't throw screens either to their backs there or their bubbles to their receivers. Mm-hmm. Ohio State, Justin, last year, 12.8 percent of his passes behind the line of scrimmage. Mac Jones, 26.4. Trevor Lawrence, 25.3. A lot of those are free completions. And then you let your skill dive do stuff. Nathan, I think it's a strategy. I think it's part of Ryan Day that that's just that's not what they want to do. But if you're trying to make it easy on your quarterback, should you throw behind? Could they throw more passes behind the line of scrimmage? Because a pass behind the line of scrimmage is just a run, basically, practically. It's the you know, and then you got to make you have two guys out there. One guy catches the bubble, and the other guy makes a block, and hopefully you can go. If you're trying to sort of protect C.J. Stroud, but get the ball to Olave and Wilson, that doesn't sound like a bad way to get those guys the ball. No, I would definitely think that you know bubble screens, slip screens, things where the those receivers can work inside because that's very different than. The, the old school, like toss it to a running back in the backfield and set up a screen that way. Like, I don't really think that's something that Ryan Day has shown any interest in doing. I'm right. not even sure I remember them doing that at all these past couple years. But the, the other thing you're talking about, absolutely, I could see them doing that because I think at the end of the day, any what 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 offensive coordinator would look at this team and say, how are we going to get the ball in Olave and Wilson's hands a lot 
safely. Like, then that would be one way to do it. Just those quick, you know, um, using guys to sort of, you know, um, screen each other off. I mean, I could, I definitely see them doing that. I would expect that to like the first completion of the season might be some kind of thing that looks like a screen. It's that, but then I think there's three guys for sure who are best when they with what they do after they've caught the ball. It's Garrett, obviously, who's back on the outside, and obviously Jackson and Emeka. You, uh, and some of this is just get the ball in their hands safely, and some of it is let the wide receivers do all the work. So yeah, if you have – go ahead. But a screen is how you get them the ball right. and do stuff after. Right. The catch. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You have options now. It's not just Garrett. You have to run a screen, too. You can do it with Emeka. You can do it with Jackson. So in this world where you have – Every most of the receivers outside of Marvin in this room are what six one one hundred and ninety pounds, which means they're all kind of built that way to be able to do the work after they caught the catch. I mean, put the work in those guys' hands as Brian Hartline was talking about in the spring. We said we want want it to be harder for us because then we have to be a lot more perfect. This is the opportunity to do that by throwing more screen passes instead of being downfield every you know three or four snaps. So I'm like, as we're talking, I'm like talking myself out of 18 for 28 per game because I'm trying to think what that would look like. So, Nathan, if they have 18 completions average per game, is it something like five each for Wilson and Olave, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and, and Ruckert combined for five, and then there's three for everybody else? No. Like you start Mm-mm. breaking it down and like, <laughs> no, no, that no, doesn't, no. that doesn't sound like enough. Like what, what, no, how, do you, not, how would no, you break down 18 receptions? I think it's more like 13 combined for Olave and Wilson. Um, and like four combined for Ruckert and Jackson Smith and Jigba and like one more for everybody else. That's what, but everybody else is Julian Fleming, Emeka yeah. Buka, Marvin Harrison, Jr. Anything to the backs. You, th- you think Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Book and Julian Fleming will average a combined one catch per game? Like, but I, that, that, I'm, I'm not saying I have a better answer. I'm just saying with the I talent mean, they have, the math on 18 gets rough quick. I think well, the completions go why up. Are you, my point is, why are you throwing to anyone other than Olave and Wilson if you can avoid it? Like, that's who's like, going to get all the targets. That's who got all the targets last year. Why wouldn't they get as many targets in this offense? Well, last year, their third receiver was kind of non-functional, right? Kind of, I mean, Jamison Williams didn't do anything. So if you think the slot, now the other part of it is we were having a debate and we'll get into some of the slot production more. I just don't think they can ignore the slot to the same mm-hmm. degree. They basically ignored that other outside spot last year. So you have to account for some level of slot production, even if it's quite a bit below what Garrett did last year. And then I think you have to account for Rucker. Like, I, like Rucker did not stay in college to have 12 catches this year. And I think that's a thing that has to be considered. But I also think for the offense to work effectively, I think you need a dose of Jeremy Rucker that's closer to three catches per game than one catch per game. But I don't know. So I'm just is saying, 18 enough? Is 18 a uh, do we need to ra- I think we might need to be in like the 22 to 23 range. But they haven't the- done anything close to that in this whole time. They did it in 2018. If the if if they use the same type of philosophy that they had in 2018, where it's just get it out of the quarterback's hands quick, the completions can start racking up. So they had 28.2 completions per game in 2018. 
Yeah. Justin Fields never averaged 20 completions a game in his two years at Ohio State. No, he didn't. But also, like, it, it, no, no, he didn't. But they also didn't have the same style of offense that went with him because you didn't have to. You could use his arm a little bit more. And again, you got to remember how many fourth quarters Dwayne Haskins was in there against Maryland, against Purdue, against whatever else. How many more times he was playing into the fourth quarter of games than Justin Fields ever had to, and that more than CJ Stroud may yep. have to. Which that's which a I understand. It's, it's, I, I, it's, well, so so maybe maybe the one that I'm wrong about is the average on Olave and Wilson. Maybe well, that's I, actually more like you're saying, like five. It's hard because six. it's not. We're not really having a stats conversation, right? We're uh-huh. having a conversation about how is this offense going to work. Except stats yeah. help tell that yeah, story. The, right. And in the end, you look back and look at stats, just like we are now. But I'm less interested in, well, are they going to have fewer? Are their numbers going to be lower because they're blowing people out in the fourth quarter or not? But I understand, Nathan, why you have to bring that up. Uh, Yeah, I'm just saying that that's that's why that number doesn't get the 22-23, because they just don't – they aren't going to be throwing the ball that much. But I think the better point is that that's probably why my guess on 13 combined receptions for Olave and Wilson is probably more like 11. They might not. That's two more receptions for everybody else. They might not throw the ball as much, but because of the way they're throwing the ball, the completions might be the same. It still might be in the 22, 23 range. It's just you're complete. It's easier passes. So it's instead of what was Justin Fields, but basically 70% for his career, maybe CJ this year is 73%. It doesn't make him a more, it doesn't make him a more accurate thrower than Justin, just like Matt Jones's completion percentage doesn't make him a more accurate um, thrower than what Justin was last year. Justin's one of the most accurate quarterbacks we've ever seen. It's just because of the way they're using it. The numbers are going to make it seem like Matt Jones had a high, was a more a, a, a more complete quarterback than what Justin was. Could, that might be the same for CJ. It's and, just and, you know. And the thing we're saying is again, Dwayne was twenty eight per game. We're not saying twenty eight, but we're saying if it's a little more Dwayne offense style, but without as many games in the fourth quarter, could they be at twenty two or twenty three instead of 19, 18 or nineteen? And I think that's that's the conversation we had because it's about can we envision that? Can we envision this is what I want to get down to? And again, I don't think we're going to answer it. Is it going to look more like the Justin Fields offense, or is it going to look more like the Dwayne Haskins offense? Because again, like like big time throws and that kind of thing. I think I said that earlier. Justin's just making twice as many big time throws as Dwayne. So the, so some of the yard is like they're getting some big chunks right in a way that they didn't get as much with Dwayne, but Dwayne's bing, bang, boom. Nathan, if, if I'm making two stark choices, just like we do with the textures, we talk about, all right, we know what the middle is, the soft middle. We know it's easy to go there, but we always say, well, what are the two edges? If you had to pick an edge, is it more Dwayne Haskins, bing, bang, boom for the passing game this year? Or is it more Justin Fields, take some shots, but maybe don't have as many completions per game. I think it's more Justin Fields. I mean, we've talked before about how much CJ Stroud kind of reminds us of Justin Fields, even Mm -hmm. as a passer. And this just seems to, again, the 2018 is the outlier year of everything Ryan day has done here at Ohio state. So just naturally, I think that's where you look for this offense to, to go. The other thing is, again, it comes back to this, they get to rely on this running game, this, this legitimate rushing attack that they're going to have behind this offensive line in a way that they couldn't in 2018 or didn't. 
Is 2018 really the outlier, or did we only just get one year of Dwayne Hoskins before he went to the NFL, and we only got one year of JT Barrett under Ryan Day while we got two years of Justin Fields, so it just sticks in your head more? I don't think that's what Ryan Day ideally wants to do, I, 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 what they did in 18. I, I don't I don't think that's not, exactly it. So. Not to throw it, not, not the mass of how much they did it, but just what they were doing. I think he likes shots. I think he does like some big play shots as we sort of talked about early that are based off sort of establishing something on the ground. And then you take some shots and make people pay. I think he likes to throw out of run sets and run out of passing sets. And I, and I think he likes to set people up. And I think when you bing, bang, boom, you don't ever really set anybody up because it's just bing, bang, boom. You're always bing, bang, booming. Mm-hmm. And so the boom's not as big because you got the bing and the bang. But if there's no bing bang, then when you get to the boom, the boom is bigger. And I think he might rather do run, run, boom than bing, bang, boom. I think, except that might be 100% wrong, right? Because he's been here four years, but we don't have a complete handle because the first two years is still him working some version of Urban's offense, the Ryan Day way, especially in 17 with JT. And now 19 and 20, the one thing that I think is – See, this is the, again, this is the thing that's hard. I'm putting my hands on my head, listeners, because I'm starting to give myself a headache on this. We call this a Macarena headache in my family because when you dance the Macarena and everyone's just having a good time and laughing, sometimes you dance and you laugh too much and you get a headache. So this is good. It's a podcast and a headache. It's good. But I do think 2018 is not Ryan Day as the head coach. I think 2019 and 2020, I think if you look at it and say, It's Ryan Day running the show from top to bottom. And I think Justin Fields is like the ideal Ryan Day quarterback, right? I mean, he might be everybody's ideal quarterback. So if those are the two circumstances, it's his show and he had the perfect quarterback and they went 19 for 29 for 263 yards per game. And we're asking ourselves, what's the ideal Ryan Day offense? I think we've maybe have seen it for the past two years because If he wanted to bing, bang, boom, Justin could have done that. If he wanted to throw it 37 times per game instead of 29, Justin could have done that. But is that maximizing what just? But is that maximizing what Justin? See, I don't know how to say this without making it seem like I'm hating on Justin because I'm not. I don't know if Justin is Ryan Day's perfect quarterback or if he's just the first quarterback. And so that's what we're going off of. That might have been the best way to maximize what Justin Fields was as a quarterback. Use that arm as much as possible and push that ball down the field whenever we we can. That doesn't mean it's going to be the best way to maximize CJ or Kyle or Quinn. And I'm going to bring Oklahoma into this a little bit. Lincoln Riley as a head coach, his offenses under Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and under Jalen Hurts, and now under Spencer Rattler have all looked very different. They're not the same offenses. So it's hard for me. It, it, for, we can't just discount what 2018 is because Ryan Day's not the head coach. That's a different style of quarterback. So you had to cater the offense to that. All of those plays still exist. We're, I think we're just assuming everything's going to look the exact same way as they did with Justin Fields. Just like before Justin Fields took the field, we all assume that Ryan Day just wants to chuck it everywhere because it's the last thing you saw. But also Oklahoma, the last four years with very different quarterbacks, Oklahoma with Baker, third in the nation in passing. True. The next year with Kyler, 
they were seventh in the nation in passing. Mm-hmm. The next year with Jalen Hurts, they were 18th in the nation in passing. And last year with Spencer Rattler breaking in, they were 14th in the nation in passing. So they were never lower than 18th in the nation yeah. in passing with four very different quarterbacks, while Justin Fields was never higher than 36th in the nation in passing. So I, I, there is, there's, and again, it's like what I, what do I said to Nathan, we're sort of having a, we are having a statistical discussion, even though, that's not really the discussion. That's the most important one. But I think your point, Stephen, of they have done it different ways. But the bottom line is they still gained a lot of passing yards every time. Mm-hmm. More than Ohio State ever did under Justin Fields. So I think we're interested in the style, but we're also interested in the amount. And so I do think I think we're coming around on, we agree there's going to, it's going to be somewhat significantly less than 18 in the amount, but I think we're still having debate on style. Is it bing, bang, boom, or is it run, run, boom? But I I think, so let's go back to that, that 18 and let's say, let's call it 18 and a half. Cause I looked last year, 12 and a half receptions a game for Wilson and Olave combined. So let's say they do that again. I don't think anybody would be surprised by that 12 and a half combined by them. And now let's say it's um, four and a half combined between Jackson and Jigba and Rucker. So that means that in a 14 game season, if Jackson Smith and Jigba had 42 catches, does that sound weird? No, no that, that sounds, that's, that's, yeah, the, range that sounds I, that's the range I'd put him in. And then like, and then whatever that would be for Rucker. So like 21 catches for Rucker this year. That's low to me, but maybe, but that, so that's where the, the it's, ballpark it's, of what the tight end gets here. And then, and then that leaves one and a half catches per game for everybody else. And that's the number that that would seem to be the one that I my instant reaction is that seems low, like 21 combined catches for Fleming and Ebuka and all those guys. But again, it, it, some of this, I guess, will just depend on on the, that receiver rotation, which I don't think we have a great. Yeah, my think, assumption is that they still just go heavy targets on Olave and Wilson. Why wouldn't you for this breakdown? We got to pick one. It, it, I don't they're not going to be back at six. Because I think you're right, Doug. Maybe, maybe, and I was the one who said it'd be a stretch for Jimmy Rucker to get 20, but maybe that is low. It's hard because we don't have anything to base it off of. But if Rucker is seriously going to be a part of this distribution, then we got to pick one other wide receiver. It's either got to be Julian Fleming, Emeka Ibuka, or Marvin Harrison Jr. But it's not going to be all three of them splitting that one and a half catch per game. It's probably just one of them who is a who is a regular part of the offense, which would lean me towards Julian Fleming. Well, let me, let me ask this. Because I asked Ryan Day this question specifically a couple weeks ago, and I and I know from the text that you guys asked Brian Hartline talked about this tonight. Do we have any more of a read on what we think the receiver rotation is going to be? Because no. again, our inclination would be well, a Mecca might get more snaps because he's rotating with JSN than the other two guys will get rotating with two All Americans. But Nathan. No, I thought Hartline said he has a good idea. He just didn't sh- like a good idea of what it might be. He just didn't share it. <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was exactly what he did. That's <laughs> I, and I didn't even check. I, I as I was sending that to our texters, I was like, well, I'm kind of telling them nothing here, but I just want them to know what the, the question was asked, and this is the answer that was given. So I don't. I we don't. I don't think have a good grasp of that because let's. The other thing here, as we're having this discussion, is. We've seen some scrimmage things either in the spring and in the preseason. A lot of it has been goal line work. I don't think we've gotten to see a lot of just open field team offense stuff to to get any kind of an indication of that kind of flow and to just watch them work all the way down the field. Like that's been very, very, very rare. 
uh, going back to the spring. So that that's the other thing that makes this a little bit difficult because that's what would tell us what this really looks like when they really go out and what they think their offense might look like. That that's the other thing that makes it tougher. It's yeah, just hard for me. Like I just don't understand a world where I know that I think Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka, uh, Chris Olave tonight with like just about. Like he doesn't really like light up that much, but he kind of lit up talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. and about how good he is already as a true freshman. Like I believe it. I believe Emeka Buka. I believe that Julian Fleming is better and healthy, and that's going to mean something. I just don't mean. I don't don't yet believe that they're going to take the ball out of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave's hands very much to give those guys the ball. I don't. I can't get myself to where that's a good idea. Yeah, Garrett kind of went there with all three freshmen, and I don't even think I asked about him at all, but he kind of his way to talk about it. But I agree. I just – yeah, it's it's hard because they have the two best wide receivers in the country, and their wide receiver coach won't talk about them. I mean, it's I'm, – I'm, I was looking back – again, look at that Florida-Atlantic game and the receiver rotation there. I mean, they start the game with, like, Mack and Hill and Victor. So two undrafted free agents and a seventh-round pick. And so, yeah, they had a rotation where you could be a true freshman like Garrett Wilson and get on the field because he was Garrett Wilson. But now Garrett Wilson is third-year Garrett Wilson. Chris Olave is fourth-year Chris Olave. And I, I think those other guys are going to have to wait their turn. I don't think those guys are going to get fed that much this year, nor do I really think they probably should because it's Clarissa Olave and Garrett Wilson. Yeah, it's 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 really hard. I, I, but do you think – but I think a Mecca – don't you think a mecca is going to have a role? But, I just oh, yes, and uh, do I think he's going to be like? Do I think that Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and and Mecca Buka is going to be anything close to even like a poor man's version of Hill and McLaurin from or or Paris Campbell? I mean, from twenty eighteen? No, I do not think that. Not even a poor man's version. Not even like a destitute man's version of that. I think as we're talking this out, I. One of those threes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you I, know what's happening? The, the Ohio State offense has so much talent, it's making us angry. Yes. We um, can't, it's like, we can't figure it out. Who gets no, the it's, ball? It's, 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 no, because you're, you're right. It, it, it's just like, it's ridiculous. They're the best two wide receivers in the country. Why would you take them out, take the ball in their hands? I don't know, because this guy was a number one wide receiver in his class and he was a five star receiver. But it's like, it's just. No reason well, is no. He should have gone somewhere else. He could have got the ball right away, but he came here and he's behind Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. There's not a bad answer to this question. That's the problem. So here's the answer I'm going to give. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are going to get the ball as much as they want. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, or Jeremy Rucker will be third, and the other one will be fourth. And then either Julian Fleming, Emeka Abuka, or Marvin Harrison will break through and be that fifth guy. And then the other two will have to wait till next year. You know what but, this offense is going to be, Stephen? This will resonate with you, and I think it will resonate with, with our readers. When you play a video game, like a football video game, and you mm-hmm. only got it on like five-minute quarters, like the stats aren't really, really realistic because you don't really have that many reps. It's not like mm-hmm. regular football. That's what yeah. this offense is to me. It's like, yes. yeah, you've got, yeah, I don't yes. care what you did, like putting together this roster, but you can only, you only have so many minutes and so many snaps to give the ball, and it's going to go to the guys who start and play the most. And it's Olavi and Wilson. Yes. So, so we're on this sidetrack. Well, it's not a sidetrack because I wanted to get to this. So let's just talk, let's try to pin ourselves down slightly on this, on the receiver rotation. Tell me if this sounds crazy though. Like, couldn't it be that Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. get every fourth series, like even in games that matter? 
that yes. they get 25% of the playing time and Wilson Olave gets 75%. And could it be that a Mecca gets more like 50% of the playing time with Jackson Smith and Jigba that maybe they aren't quite, maybe it's 60, 40, but I'm not so sure why it would be 75, 25 when Jackson Smith and Jigba is not an all American and a Mecca is the number one recruit in the country and looked great in the spring. So, so, if I would, if I'm going to guess right now, I would guess 75-25 for meaningful snaps, rotation on the outside, and something more like I was thinking 65-35, or 65-35 in this slot. I could see that because it's a 12-game year, so you don't feel like everybody, your starters, just have to be out there because it's not as much wear and tear. So yeah, I could see it more. Because even last year, that's why those two played so many snaps. One, they're awesome, but also you only had five games. So here you go. Right. Take all – if you we have 75 snaps, you're going to play 69 of them because you can. You don't have to worry about your body. But in the name of getting through these guys through a season, yeah. And then there's nope. going to be like the Akron game where Garrett and Chris played 25 snaps. I think that's a crucial thing. Not only was there only five games last year, there was no Akron. There was no Tulsa. And then mm-hmm. in some of the games where Ohio State had a chance to put its throat on people, uh, put its food, boot, on, boot on people's throats, they didn't and do get it. those guys in the game in the second half, they didn't do it. Nebraska, mm-hmm. they didn't do it. Indiana, they didn't do it. Rutgers. So there, there were a lot of reps for younger guys that were either uh, wiped out by COVID or wiped out by Ohio State not taking care of its own business. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I could imagine, right, like in a game that matters, I could imagine looking out during the Indiana game and it's 10-10, two minutes into the second quarter, and Ohio State comes on the field for, like, its fourth series of the game, and Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr. come on the field. I, it's I did just it he's Marvison. He's just Marvison. Marvelous. I can't, I can't wait till I get to talk to Marvin Harrison Jr. after an interview one time, and he'll be like, I know who you are. You're the guy who calls me Marvison. He's going he's gonna to hold a rose out for you and take it back. Yeah, <laughs> but but like that wouldn't shock me. And also, but I'm just like, I'm so curious. I mean, this is good. This is why it's fun. It's like, I'm so curious to see stuff. I just want to see what they do. What I think would be interesting. And it's like, they, ne- they haven't necessarily done this. They kind of often roll the receivers almost like hockey lines, mm-hmm. but I could see a world where it's like, okay, the first two series, it's Chris and Garrett. The third series it's Chris and Marvin. Yeah, I was going to say that. Series, it's yeah. Julian and Garrett. And it's like one of those things where you always have one of your number one yeah. guys on the field. And then, frankly, when they're on the field with the second string guy, then they might get a little extra juice. And now it's like, well, it's Garrett time because Chris mm-hmm. is off the field. And I could see like something like that working really, really well. But I also don't know that I expect them to do that. But I think maybe if I was the receivers coach and if I was the receivers coach, Ohio State would go two and ten. Maybe Nathan, like I would, that's what I would try. And sure. I, and then meanwhile, I, I think it could be, I think a Mecca is really good. And this is not to say that Jackson is not, I think it might be possible that like, we just look down from play to play and it's like, who's on this, who's in the slot. I don't know. Either of them. It like, it almost, not that it doesn't matter, but it's like, it could be either of them at any moment, but I don't know. I think, I think there's a way that you could keep everybody involved, keep those guys a little fresh, but still get them enough targets. Uh, yeah, I, I think what you say is plausible. I just think if you st- when you start to break that down, um, 25% of the snaps on a team that, again, doesn't really throw the ball all that much, then that doesn't lead to a bunch of receptions and a bunch of targets. It, it just doesn't. I agree with the Jackson and Mecca thing. I don't think it starts out that way. 
I think it might Jackson just meet, especially because of who their first two opponents are. He might just be in there. And then when they get to those, what is that, that Akron game and yeah. that little three game stretch where, you know, you're going to win by 60. Mecca is just in there because you can get him a lot of experience there. And then by the time we really get into the grunt of it, you start, it gradually goes in the 50, 50 to we get to Michigan week and it's like, Oh, who is in there? Okay. It's Jackson this time, or it's a Mecca this time. That's, that's likely while with, Julian and Marvin on the outs- outside, it's just they get 25% of the snaps and you're just going to have to deal with it this year. And also, by the way, something's something's going to happen, which we have to keep throwing in here. Something's going to happen. A guy yeah. misses a game for this, a guy misses Yeah, 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 yeah. I was about to say, it, it's going to be an interesting reach back after like a month into the season. Like get through those first four games and then mm-hmm. kind of reassess this and say, okay, now what do we know about this offense? Because again, I think they're going to be very run heavy against Minnesota because I think Minnesota will – let them be very run heavy that game. And then you're going to play maybe the best defense you're going to see all season in Oregon. Like it was, we talked about, it's a team that is chock full of like really talented guys. And then Akron Tulsa, where you get to like, maybe spread it Experiment. out. Yeah. Yeah. So then I think it's that it's going into that fifth game where I think maybe we need to mark it down. Well, not mark it down. We need to on the calendar, mark it down uh, to come back and do a reassessment at that point. And, and, it, and there's just enough uncertainty here that we could just look back on this very podcast, which actually maybe we should do once a month, just look back and be like, what were they talking about? <laughs> what? Like Chris Olave hasn't come off the field all month. Right. That's like, re- and it might happen. 25. You thought he was going to play 75% of the snaps. Chris Olave is going to play a hundred snaps every game. Like, what were you talking about? Or like, I just, there could be things we're just drastically wrong with. Also, I now have come around on, we mentioned previously, PJ Fleck saying it's the best receivers room he's ever seen, which is like a good way to be like, man, I mean, you guys have the best receivers I've ever seen. I certainly would throw to them instead of, I don't know, having Paris Johnson run block my defensive tackle into the stands 50 times. Please don't do that. No, he's like he's he's rope a doping him. He's picking he's picking his poison before we even get on the field. Ryan Day's gonna come out like no receivers on the field. He's gonna come out in four tights with Paris Johnson at fullback and be like, oh, oh you like our you like our receivers, do you, PJ? I'd come out in the wishbone. I'd have G Scott and Mitch Rossi on the field. Oh yeah, as the guys out. Yeah, I, I, I formation, baby. Bring the I formation back to college football. <laughs> Ryan Day's like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are perfectly healthy, and we left them in Columbus <laughs> just to make a point. We we sent them ahead. We, they're actually on Oregon scouting for us this week. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So so we did not get to, into the numbers. I don't. I, I did not give the official numbers on all the run pass breakdown. Right. I I, I want to make sure no. that we we get to those a little bit because if I do math, I'm going to talk about it. This again was taking into account. I, I use the sacks as pass plays instead of run plays. 2017, they're 64% run, 36% pass. 2018, they're 57% run, 43% pass. 2019, 67% run, 33% pass. 2020, 64% run, 36% pass. I mean, again, they're showing us. They're showing us that, like, Outside of 2018, Nathan, they're two-thirds pass, one two-thirds run, one-third pass. Is that what we think? Is that is that about is that about is that about right? And and this has to take into account a little bit of the quarterback run, which I just have some very surface level stats on that we will talk about in a moment. 
but two thirds run, one third pass. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I, I think it, I think that does sound about right. Um, because the what you're talking about before with like the sacks and scrambles that kind of cancels each other out, I think. And again, we've just seen it. I mean, it's been it's been in that range every single year. I mean, this is what the Ryan Day offense is. Stephen, do you agree with that, or do you kind of slightly disagree? Because again, 2018, it's 57 percent run, 43 percent pass. So maybe instead of 66 33 you could think maybe it's more like 60 60 40 yeah i think i'm gonna go 60 40 because i'm not sure about this defense yeah especially the secondary so i, I gotta uh i gotta we gotta get into the quarterback run thing but i but before we do that i, I want to get down because we talked a little bit about sort of outside receiver slot breakdown stuff right and and that we're trying to figure out like okay well who's gonna get it this again is rough it's rough. I just looked at the, the starting guys who mostly played certain positions, and I didn't include anybody who wasn't a primary player when it mattered. So just by going by that, the breakdown was this. Okay, this is, again, it's rough. I apologize. Number of catches, number of catches for receivers, slot versus outside. And remember, there's two outside spots and just one slot spot. So there should be, you should have more outside catches because there's more guys on the field on the outside. 2017, 50.5% of their catches in the slot, 49.5% outside. So even though there's two outside guys, the slot guys actually had more catches in the offense. 2018, 54% slot, 46% outside. That's the crazy Hill and Campbell year where they're practically the whole offense. 2019, 29% slot, 71% outside. That's a lot outside. That's like, that's KJ by himself, basically, when they didn't really have a slot backup. And that's like Chris starting to be Chris. That's Garrett playing on the outside, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like KJ's good, but, right, they got some outside dudes now. So they really went outside. And then 2020, 45% slot, 55% outside, but that's with Garrett in the slot where it's like, Oh, well, we got to throw it to the the guy in the slot. That's Garrett. And then that does take into account. That's just Garrett stats, right? That's Garrett and Jackson stats in the slot. And I know some of got Jackson, some of Garrett's stats. They were in 12 personnel with two outside guys. And I get that. But But for the sake of this exercise, he was a slot receiver last year. So I'm just, again, it's the basics, but, but, Steven, that is a stark contrast. For instance, you know, in, in 17 and 18, more than half, more than half the catches that matter go to the slot guys. 2019, it's it's 70% outside, 30% slot. How much is this? How much is the slot going to be involved here? Because my instinct would be, I do think it could look like 2019 because the outside guys are so good. And the slot guys are just less experienced. I think this might be 70%, 75% outside, 25% slot for an offense that at times has gone to the slot more. I think you just answered the question why is Garrett back outside this year? Because that's where the touches are going to come. But, but it's one of those, but it's interesting because they chose that. Because yeah. actually, if they wanted sign up kind of more slot outside balance, just keep Garrett in the slot. Right. Play Julian outside, right? And then you mm-hmm. go. But they chose to put Garrett back out there. But then we do think they lean outside just because of the personnel. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, it's, 
Maybe I am more. Maybe it is leaning more towards the Justin Fields offense then. Maybe. Well, here, but here's the thing. There is the personnel and then there is the philosophy. Yeah. So I would have thought and I have said I, I on this podcast, philosophically, they're going to keep the slot involved. But the year that the personnel didn't kind of tell you that, then they didn't do it as much. They kind of let yeah. the personnel dictate, Nathan. So, like, I don't. And if Which you is ask Ryan, football, if, though. if you tried I, to ask Ryan Day what's more important, offense, philosophy or personnel, he, of course, would say it's both, but he would lean toward you got to do what your personnel is, right? Which is so, college football. College football, that's one of the primary differences, I think, between NFL and college is in college, personnel dictates scheme and the NFL scheme dictates personnel. But let's not, let's not pretend. I mean, Garrett Wilson didn't move outside because he didn't do well enough inside. Oh. Was, I mean, he's, they're still going to give him and Chris Olave the ball more than anybody else. And, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, they wanted him on the field more than Jamison Williams. That's really why that happened and why, and because he just fits better at the slot. But I don't really know that that is, it, that there, wherever Garrett Wilson lines up, he's going to get the ball a lot. I think it's less about they wanted Jackson on the field more than they wanted Jamison Williams on the field, more that they didn't want to have a wasted spot on the outside when they want to use it because they weren't using it with Jackson. I mean, with, with uh, Jamison Williams out there, but with Garrett out there, they're going to use that spot because I mean, you're, he's the X receiver. So he's just on the backside of the, of the, of, of, of the formation with Jamison. When you're on the backside, he says, go deep. And every so often we'll throw it to you. Well, not every so often once every blue moon, but with Garrett out there, it's go deep, go intermediate, Go short route. We might have some bubble screens. We're gonna have everything in between because now you can use that. But you can use that wide receiver position to its fullest potential. While last year it was just making a guy run in a straight line. I don't know what to think. It hurts my brain. Football's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Why do coaches get paid five million dollars a year? Oh, no, I mean, football's hard. But obviously, they could have done that last year, too. They could have put Garrett Wilson outside and done those same things with him. And they did sometimes, as you said, with 12 they personnel did, yeah. stuff. Yeah, they they but, could have, but also their options in this. I think the options in the slot were like Jalen Gill or a true freshman. So it's yeah. nah, put Garrett in there and we'll figure it out. Put Garrett in there and they go to per, 12 personnel more often. We So people know that like the the Ohio State, and if I shouldn't say this, I'll cut it out later. Like Ohio State was nice enough for a lot of the people on the beat the other morning had an opportunity to go talk to Ryan Day for a little bit, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, we, we didn't write anything right off of it because we were gathering some information for other stories. Other people kind of wrote some stuff right away, which is great. Um, but we're, we're allowed to say we did that, right, Nathan? We're not like breaking yes. any rules, are we? Yeah. Well, like you said, other people published things that said they had sit down. They had, on, day, so. they had podcasts with them and videos. Yeah. Did. So we had our time with Ryan Day, who was kind enough to let us into his office and, and sit and have a conversation about football. Um, but just like breaking all this stuff down again, like I had been watching the night before I had been watching quarterback spring games for the college football playoff show. So like I asked Ryan Day, like a quarterback question, like, hey, uh, what do you think about it? And I was like, I'm sorry, I watched 15 minutes of quarterback film last <laughs> night and I decided to see if are, are we on the same level now, Ryan, I, I did watch a four minute highlight film of a quarterback where the music under it was like, boom, chicka, boom, boom. Like some of those, I'm so old. I hate it. I mean, Steven, I think you're on there sometimes, right? Watching the recruits and the highlights. Yeah. If you give me a cut up 
where you highlight the guy and there's no music. Oh my God, it is so soothing. When I click on the five minute and 31 second highlight film, and it's just a rap song that I've never heard of. And it's close-ups of like guys like diving in the end zone. I'm like, I could not be older and lamer in this moment. Dear God, just show me a football cutup. But it's about like 50-50 sometimes what you're going to get. I would rather hear for high school, just let me hear the background noise of the game. You know, I just, that's fine. Because I'm probably going to mute it anyway. Because I'm not, I'm not watching for the music. And if it's college, just let the announcer stay in there. Yeah. Let Gus, let Gus Johnson do the work for you. I always, it's the, are they called, it's not even popular anymore, right? Is it trap songs? They were popular a couple of years ago. Is that, is that a, that's a style of, of music, right? Cause my daughter likes those. And I always, it's like, my daughter likes those, those but, trap songs, you know, yeah, but isn't that, is it, that's like, that, that is a style of rap music. Yes. It's, it's just the like, way you said it made it sound so, but it's like, it's a lot of, it's like mumbling. And then you say, huh? Mumble, mumble rap. Yeah. Him a him a huh? Do you know who your daughter's favorite rapper is? She likes Migos. And I know I know the one Migos guy was in like the NBA celebrity all-star game. He's a very, very good basketball player. Quavo. Yeah. Yeah. Quavo. Oh, she's all over Quavo. Okay. And again, that was more like four years ago. They're not as much right now. Is that right? They just put out an album this summer. Did they? I mean, For real? Pretty, okay. Yeah, they're she pretty likes, hot. Still. Well, she likes the stir fry song. Everybody likes and that's stir fry. Listen, that's okay. Yeah. Everybody likes the stir fry song. But yes, mumble rap is a style of rap that needs to die. But yes. But, I, but also, Justin Bieber is just whispering. All he does is whisper. Everybody, like, whispering is not singing. That's because his voice got, he hit puberty. You, so can't, can't, you can't trick me. Whispering's not singing. Yeah, he, you can't, he, he can't sing baby me. anymore. He, you can't sing baby anymore when your voice is, you know, dropped finally. Yeah. Everything is just like an apology and a whisper. Yeah. I'm sorry, baby. It's not a song. I don't want to sound a song, Justin Bieber. Um, all right. I want to talk. So, <laughs> Nathan, did we decide? We can, add that to the, we can add that to the list of things we do now. We now review music albums. I would say, you guys, I wish we don't do the videos. There are times, Nathan, as soon as I started asking, asking Stephen about mumble rap, Nathan all but took off he his headphones out. and walked out of the room. <laughs> That was his level of interest in that conversation. And oh, he was man. just waiting to either hear the word football or to hear Nathan. <laughs> and then he knew to come back. Do we have a sense? Have we helped anybody? Have we helped a single person with how they're going to throw it? 263 outside more than slot, maybe 18 or 19, but actually maybe 22 or 23 completions per game, not 28. I want to talk about the quarterback run game a little bit before we go, but have we honed in on anything? Is there anything else we need to talk about sort of in the, the pass game, how we think they're going to attack people? Well, I think the one thing that, that hangs out there for me, and it's the one thing I may be the most eager to see on Thursday, is just how reliant they've been on 12 personnel and how much they do that this season. And it's one of those things where – do they do it a lot against Minnesota? Because again, it lets them sort of plow through Minnesota. And then do they back off of it? Cause they're playing a different kind of athlete against Oregon. I just want to see what plays they're going to call. And I know that's a simple, but in the name of, I mean, I am on there. It might look like Dwayne Haskins offense. You guys are on the side of Justin Fields, offense. Those are two different sets of play calls. Yeah. So which one, of, I mean, what, what's getting called on second and seven, you know, what does the first series look like and how does that dictate how the rest of the game goes? And it really is. I mean, again, Mac Jones, ball out of his hands. Boom, right. Go. 
DJ as a young guy, when they put him in last year, ball out of his hands, go through for 400 yards. So it's like, it, it, it can be, I mean, if like, if you have the guys, right? Like if your quarterback is not, here's the thing, maybe this is it. It's, it's the question of, is the quarterback the best player on your offense? And if so, it's, it's almost like, and maybe there's a way I could, you could ask Ryan this is first year starting quarterback, a point guard. And his second year starting quarterback, a playmaker. I, I am kind of there. I, I actually, that I think is a pretty good definition of what I think. And I maybe think what he thinks, which then would lead you to Dwayne more towards Dwayne in 2018. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, who's the best player on their offense last year? As, matter, as good as anybody was, the best player is Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. So you want the ball in his hands. You want him making decisions. You want him being a threat. Because the minute Justin Fields lets the ball go, he's no longer a threat. Now, if it's in the air sailing towards Chris Olave 50 yards down the field, that's a heck of a good situation. But you want Justin to have the ball. You don't want to get to get it out of his hands. But was Mac Jones the best player on Alabama's offense? No. Was DJ Uyunglele as a true freshman the best player on Clemson's offense? No. So if they're getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands – when it leaves the quarterback's hands, it's going to a better player mm. a lot of the time. And you watch again, you watch Clemson against Notre Dame as well as DJ played. They did a lot of stuff to help him out. They're throwing throwback screens to Travis Etienne. Yep. They're hitting Cornell Powell and guys like, boom, let's go and let them do the work. So who's the, I mean, CJ Stratton's not the best player on this offense. If it's get it out of his hands and the minute it's out of his hands and on the way to Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, you're ahead. And that, did I just negate everything I said for 50 minutes? That leads you back to Dwayne Haskins, Nathan. I don't know what to think anymore. I also think that there's a way. I think this season, and at least early in the season, could also give us a greater appreciation for Justin Fields. And I don't mean that because I think C.J. Stroud's going to come out and lay some kind of an egg. But in the same way that like we didn't fully appreciate Jordan Fuller until he was gone, you kind of didn't maybe fully appreciate even someone like J.K. Dobbins until he was gone, and you saw what came after him. So now... I mean, again, think about it like that kind of help that you're talking about that, like making it easy on the quarterback to get stats. Ohio State never did that for Justin Fields. It was all like much tougher passing that he had. He had to go earn it in a different way. And do we see now that Ryan Day has to approach offense in a different way? Because C.J. Stroud, when we were talking a few weeks ago, when we're having our big uh, arguments about uh, Quinn Ewers and and these guys, and you kind of brought up, well, maybe he's like 75 percent of Justin Fields but that you have to, for lack of a better term, I'm going to say dumb things down a little bit more or pull back a little bit more and make it even more conservative or more quarterback friendly. Because I don't think this, I don't think this offense was very quarterback friendly, especially 2020 for what they asked Justin Fields to do. I it's think literally they're, going to have to, like, they're going to have to do it in a different way for CJ Stroud. I assume. We'll I, I would say, I mean, if you said to Ryan Day in that office, your offense is not quarterback friendly, he would have put down his cup of coffee, come up and punched you right in the neck. So, okay. I'm, saying. I'm saying stat friendly, not well, quarterback. It's friendly. not quarterback friendly it's in, the same, in the sense that it doesn't make things easy for them, but then they get to the next level and it's they know what they're doing, right, i.e. Yeah, what Justin Fields is saying. doing for Chicago right now in comparison to what the other quarterbacks who are first-rounders are doing around the league. It's not – when it was with Justin, it wasn't quarterback easy but it was quarterback yes. opportunity. Yeah. Yes. And maybe yes. you want to make it a little more quarterback easy because we've seen teams win national championships that way. 
But no, having no. said that, again, go back. People can go back and look at the start of that Florida Atlantic game where things were. It was just, I, I it did feel kind of quarterback easy for Justin Fields at the start. And but the, I, think it, I, I think it, it complicated over time. And the other thing is, I do think maybe there's a tendency with Ohio State, with Urban Meyer, with Ryan Day. It's like, well, we could get it out of the quarterback's hands and get it to a receiver and make it quarterback easy that way. Or he could just turn around and hand it to that guy. That's the easiest. Mm-hmm. You know what's easy? Hand it to that guy and tell him to follow Paris Johnson. What is easier than that? And Mac Jones could do both last year. You see over here? Remember how we had two, like, all American quality tackles? Well, now we move them, and they're next to each other. We talked about, like, the Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis superhighway last year. What is the Nicholas Petit Frere, Thayer Munford left side of the line? That is like, they are going to. This is the Grand Canyon. Bowl, yeah. Trevor Henderson is going to, he's going to break dance in the hole before he goes to score. So like, there's a lot of that, that they, it just might be. I, I do think that that's very possible. Maybe they could do bing, bang, boom, RPO, but like, why would you when you can do the same thing with even less risk by just handing it to these guys behind those five guys? And that might be the way they go. We want to talk a little bit about quarterback run on the offensive podcast that brings up questions and has no answers next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, Steven, again, this was, it feels like two separate podcasts. It's just, we did a beginning and then we took a break. I just want to make sure I say it one more time. Big time throws, keep it in mind. This is the PFF, like big shots. doesn't even matter. Like if you complete it or not, it's, it's a big time throw, like down the field where you make a really good throw, a tough throw. What percentage of your passes were that JT Barrett, 2017, 5.5% big time throws. Dwayne Haskins, 2018, 4.2. Justin Fields, 2019, 8.7. Justin Fields, 2020, 7.8. That's not quarterback easy. That's quarterback opportunity. Nathan, how much is CJ Stroud going to run? This is surface level stats. 2020, Justin Fields, basically 10 carries per game, sacks included. 2019, Justin Fields, basically 10 carries per game. 2017, JT Barrett, basically 12 carries per game. 2018, Dwayne Haskins, five and a half carries per game. When we're looking for more completions, part of it is If you have four fewer QB runs per game, that could be four more completions per game. And if you did have that, it would take you from 18 or 19 towards 22 or 23, which contributed to 2018. You're just taking that quarterback run out of it. Now, is CJ as limited as a runner as Dwayne was? No, he's not. And as Ryan Day said, what they're asking a quarterback to do is, can you read the end and make the right call In the zone read 80% of the time. That's what they're asking. And then after you make, if the right call is for you to keep it, can you do a little bit with it? You don't have to be Justin Fields. Can you do something? Kind of like, and I think, and they could have run, and we had the conversation for two years. They could have run Justin 15 times a game if they wanted to. They just didn't need to do it to win. And every now and then in big games, if they did need to do it, then they did. But they weren't going to do it on a regular basis. They were going to do it in big games and they were going to do it in red zone. So that's why the number of, carries is down if it's something more like 10 11 12 or something more like 5 6 where do you think cj stroud falls i guess i'm probably leaning on the high side of that um 
maybe closer to the 12, only because I don't know if C.J. Stroud is going to, again, as we make that comparison with Fields, what one of the things that made Justin Fields what he was, was his not just willingness, but like stubborn insistence on letting plays develop deep downfield and and hanging back and waiting to let them develop so he can make that pass, so he could take that shot. I don't know if that is in C.J. Stroud's makeup as of September 4th or September 2nd. I don't, I don't know if he's that guy yet. If that might be something that he grows into comfort wise over time. Um, we got to remember Justin Fields had already had a year of partially playing and it was in the sec too. So I think he started his first year at Ohio state, even though it was a new office and everything with a little bit, just more of that comfort level in the moment than I assume CJ Stroud's going to have next Thursday night at Minnesota. But I, I'm, I'm skeptical that he p- approaches those situations exactly the same way as Justin does. I think he might be quicker to pull out and run with it than Justin was, which would lead to a couple more opportunities per game as, as quarterback runs. And I'm going to go opposite six. He's a little deliberate with his releases. He wants, he wants to get the ball out of his hands. So, so the hard part of it is, is in the zone read, if the quarterback and the running back aren't kind of equal threats, the defense will just decide, well, here's who we want to keep it. And I would assume early on, they're going to want CJ to keep it. So if you're going to run a lot of zone read, you're going to wind up with your quarterback keeping it a lot because that's going to be the read because they're going to be like, well, we're going to stop Master Teague or Mayan Williams or Trayvon Henderson. I don't know. This rookie quarterback, I don't know. He's, He's a good player, but like, is he scaring us in the run game? He's not scaring us. So then... God, if that's the case, what does that lead you back toward? That leads you back towards RPOs so that when you're making that read, there's no threat of the quarterback keeping it. Well, maybe there, I mean, there's like, you can do a triple threat, right? Maybe I'll keep, I'm not going to hand it now. Am I going to run or am I going to throw? But I mean, that there's part of that there. Here's the other thing, by the way, to the point, sacks are a quarterback stat. I think people know that by now. Four years ago, football fans didn't know that. The analytics community has made that pretty clear. This is an amazing stat. This is an amazing stat to me. The number of sacks that Ohio State gave up in an eight-game season last year, 21. The number of stats that Ohio State gave up in a 14-game season in 2018, 23. So they gave up as many stats, as many sacks in six fewer games last year, not because of the offensive line, because Justin wanted to hold the ball to make a big play, which makes me love him. Justin was I bugging last it. year. I love it, though. I love it. Thank you for doing it. It's worth it. Wonder Justin Fields, it's worth it. Yeah, you know I know. What? Give me the big time throws. Give me all the. Give me all of it. Give me, give me, give me, give me all of it. But is CJ going to make as many big plays, right? Like Steven in the, in the, in the, in the equation of like risk reward, take the sack, but you get the big play out of it. Well, Garrett and Chris will make the big plays if CJ gets it to him. But I don't think Ryan day wants that. I don't think Ryan day, Ryan day didn't want Justin taking as many sacks as he took. We've covered that a million times, but guess what? Justin's going to be Justin. Thank God. He's awesome. I just don't think he's going to put CJ in that situation which again starts leading you back towards more getting it out of his hand. Yeah, Justin was bugging last year. I, I the Nebraska game was a little ridiculous. Some of the stuff he was trying to get away with out there. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think you to the point of Ryan was there all 2019, where he was like, "I don't want you taking sacks. Get rid of the ball. Throw it away. That's my favorite play when you throw it out of bounds." 
I, and then in 2020, when I asked him about it the first time, he was like, no, you deal with it because, you know, most of the time it's going to end up with a 30-yard pass down the field for completion. That now resets, and I think we're going to be back in the world of, I want C.J. Stroud to throw the ball away, or I want him to get rid of it. Because once again, it's a first-year starting quarterback who hasn't proven anything. So then if you want to get rid of it, so in the end, I think they have a decision to make in the run game because I don't think they're going to call. I mean, you have to call a little QB power, a little QB draw every now and then, keep mm-hmm. defense honest. I'll be curious to see. I mean, I do think a lot of times, I mean, you want to have that that zone read, but a lot of times you're just, you know, just hand the ball off. You don't have to trick anybody. Hand the ball off and run behind Paris Johnson. That's our trick. Our trick is we have an All-American tackle who's Orlando Pace playing Jr. Guard. playing guard. That's our <laughs> trick play. Our trick play is he should be a tackle. What's that trick play called? We're running the old uh, guard Ruski. Oh, what do you do? Well, what you do is you take the best tackle in America. Here's what you do. We're going to, they are going to dominate on the guard Ruskies. You take the two best tackles in America and you make them guards. But why would you do that? Well, because we don't have any guards, but we have four tackles. Oh, that's a trick. You got it. Hey, and one of them seven foot tall. <laughs> It's what are you gonna do? We get what are you gonna do? Play four tackles? Shh, we are playing four tackles. It's a trick play. Two of them are at guard. I don't think anybody has is more upset that Paris Johnson is playing guard than you are. I think you're I think that's why he's not mad. You're angry enough for the both of you. And and again, someday I hope to have a conversation where Paris Johnson says, I know who you are. <laughs> You're the guy who's mad on my behalf. And I'll say, yes. He'll be like, Thank you. Yes, I am. That's the best thing I can do. I mean, that's like, that's how I am as a father. I am mad on behalf of my children all the time. The other day, the other day, something happened. I shouldn't say this. I don't care. The other day, something happened at a tennis match. And like the opposing coach, when my daughter was playing, was like, well, should you be doing that to like our family is what if something was happening? And we were like, okay, like we won't do that. And then she started like telling a story of like, well, I've been a coach for 40 years. And 20 years ago, we almost had a player. We did this. And at the OHSAA, almost disqualified. I said, we got it. And she said, you know, and I'm just trying to say, I said, we got it. And she said, well, you know, I'm just trying to make sure. I mean, I've been a coach. And I said, we don't need a lecture. And then she went and told on us and like said, (laughs) and so my instinct in the moment was like, and I didn't, I didn't do anything after that, but it's like, listen, like, we, you know, but like, I'm angry on behalf of my child. So that's like, we don't need a lecture. Like that's, that's how I am with Paris. So like, that's on his behalf. I just like to make it clear that he's angry might, about my five star. Yeah, <laughs> he, he might be the best tackle in America, but he's just going to have to wait till next year to find out. And in the meantime, he's just going to destroy people. So I do think I, I do think that is that is a thing that we have to take into consideration. They threw it so much in 2018 because they didn't have as many quarterback run plays. And if you do that, you can find a couple things in there. And again, as Ryan Day's piecing together the offensive game plan, it's like you got to keep people honest. You got to be multidimensional. But in the end, you know, the eighth time CJ Stroud might run, do we want that to be a run or do we want it to be like a bubble screen to Garrett Wilson? Right. So. Um, I just, we, we're just not going to know. I think to your point, Nathan, we're not going to know. We're not going to know. As much as we discussed this, I don't think we've come to any conclusions. We're not going to know until Minnesota. And then to your point, we're also not going to know after Minnesota because there might be a very kind of Minnesota specific game plan. And then when it's like 
let's get after it against Oregon that has maybe the best pass rusher in the country, some legit linebackers, a, at least one great cover corner, and, and a pretty good athlete at the other spot. They've got three levels of stuff there. They've got a defensive coordinator that people like. You know, that will tell us then because Minnesota, you have to beat them, and the way to beat them might just be to run all over them. But I do think by the time we get to week two, and we have plenty of time to talk about this, Nathan, they are going to need all of this to beat Oregon. Because, you know, I, you know, Oregon's offense, I don't know, but like Oregon's defense for real, as we've talked about before. Yeah, and even like, okay, they're going to see Boyamafe in that first game, but Kayvon Thibodeau is a step up from that. So like, yeah. I think it's good in some ways that they're getting Minnesota before they get Oregon. Um, that It's going to show them some things. It's going to open their eyes a little bit. It's a better test. I think they can win, but get tested in a, in a tougher way than if they were just playing Akron in the first game and then had to go play Oregon. I don't think that I think they're in better position, but it is it's it's still just a jump up. Like I'm really intrigued by what that what that spread's going to be for if they come out and blow away Minnesota by just running the ball down her throat. Um, there might be a, a too big spread for Ohio State going into Oregon. And I and I really do think we, we had so we sort of covered a lot of this other stuff on the market down Monday where we were doing like, who's going to lead in tackles, but we did like, who's going to lead in rushing yards. Right. And so we had, we didn't talk as much about the offense in terms of the actual running backs. I also think Minnesota might give us like a very incorrect picture of what the running back situation is actually going to be year long, because I think like master Teague and Mayan Williams, like might both run for a hundred yards against Minnesota. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, mm -hmm. Teague is 16 for one Oh two. And Williams is, 12 for 117 and holy moly here comes this two-headed running back monster for Ohio State and it's like eh, probably not actually right that like that's what they had to do in week one with a true freshman running back and a redshirt freshman quarterback but that that's uh, not really it well I mean again I'm bringing up that Florida Atlanta game but it remembers Justin Fields runs for like a 65-yard touchdown or whatever in the first quarter of that game and we took that in the moment like it was read almost like, oh, here's an indication of what Justin Fields is going to bring to this offense with his running ability. No, it was what the offensive line brought to the game by just crushing the guys in front of him and just opening up the entire half of the field for him to go run in. Not that he wasn't a talented runner, but you know what I mean? So like that's, yeah. that perspective is, is something that we'll have to keep in mind. Yeah, all he did on that play was run straight because Wyatt Davis created the, the biggest hole I've ever seen. Yeah, no, right. That was like the, this is why Wyatt Davis is going to be an All-American thing. Yeah. That's not actually how we reacted in the moment. Here's what has happened. And I do think we do this on Buckeye Talk at times. You didn't learn anything, but I hope you're excited for football. Like, I'm excited now because in my confusion, I just want someone to tell me what's happening. And they're going to tell us on Thursday against Minnesota. So we're a week away and I'm excited for that. I think all we did on this podcast was come up with questions we can ask Ryan Day on Monday. That he won't answer. That he won't, yeah, that he won't answer. It'll be a long, drawn-out question with great theory. He'll shake his head and be like, yeah, 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 I see where you're coming from. Well, you know, we're just trying to get ready for Minnesota this week, and, you know, we got a lot of weapons. To be fair, I mean, I will say, sometimes my favorite questions and answers are, here's my 53-second theory. And if the answer is, yeah, I'm like, yes, that was worth it. Thank you. Or like something, you know, like, and, and I, and I really almost want to lean into this line of questioning of like, listen, five podcasts a week, we're going to talk about it. So is this right or not? Are we sounding like idiots? Are we leading thousands of people astray 
every day or are we kind of close? You know, it benefits everybody for me to not be as stupid as I am. Please help me. So you will hear a version of a question like that on Monday with Ryan Day. All right. Anything else we need to cover with the offense? Do we feel like we have a handle on what we needed to run through? I think we're good. I mean, we can talk about blocking schemes, but no. Except I don't know how they work. Oh, yeah, I don't want to do it. We might do a version of this with the defense. We'll see. But I do know we have Buckmore coming Friday. Linebacker Mount Buckmore. Thanks to everybody who's voted. Sign up for the tech 614-350-3315 to cast your vote. And then uh, and then it's getting real. Next Monday, mark it down Monday, Nathan. What do we mark it down? We're marking down the whole shebang, like uh, playoff teams and national champion. So time to put that on the record. So that'll be good. And then uh, and then like we'll be talking to Ryan Day next Monday because the schedule's off a little bit since the Thursday game. So the Tuesday podcast next week will be this is what Ryan Day talked about on Monday, and then we're rolling. Then we're going. All right. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. Some great reviews uh, at Apple Podcasts recent days. A couple different people said, like, we're their favorite podcast for anything. Someone said, like, they, they like us better than Bill Simmons and Colin Cowherd. So uh, very cool to hear that kind of stuff. We, we really, really appreciate it. We have a Buckeye Talk uh, Twitter account, Buckeye Talk Pod, if you want to follow that. Make sure you're following the three of us on Twitter individually. And just a reminder, like, you know, we get to this point of the season. We've slogged, not slogged through, because we had a lot of fun. We, we've been through this entire offseason together and like we're super excited to have you guys with us for the start of this football season. It's going to be super fun. So thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk and thanks for reading Cleveland.com. For Stephen Means, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.